Hi everyone, welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am Colin McFader, joined as always by Clark Coffey. Uh, hey. It's it's a good day to talk about movies. I hope that it's you're... always a good day to talk is, about that's movies. That's a good point. Yeah, that was that's, that's like a, <laughs> Come a non. On. What do you call that? A non sequitur? What it's like? When is there? Pointless? When is there a not? Redundant? Well, it's not a non sequitur. You're you're on topic, but uh, it's but it's redundant. kind of redundant. It's, redundant. it's yeah. redundant is what I would say because it's always a good day to talk about movies, especially. You know, we like to have our little like weather forecast right in the first yes. couple minutes here yeah. or something, especially on a day like today out here in Southern California. Where it's like I'm sitting in the middle of a cloud. I can't see five feet in front of my face. It's been raining for like 24 hours straight, which is quite rare for mm-hmm. Southern California, yeah. even this time of the year. As we sit through our 11th atmospheric river, which is like something I'd never even heard of or knew what it was before this winter here. Anyway, so it's an especially wonderful day to be indoors, cozy, discussing some of our cherished favorite movies so mm-hmm. yeah it's sunny here but you know it's cold so who wants to be yeah outside? yeah that's right you're way up there in canada and toronto and yeah. i know if i if i asked you what the temperature was you would tell me in celsius and it wouldn't make any sense to me anyway so i'm not even going to worry about it is yeah. it above is it above or below freezing just tell me that it is above <laughs> it's five degrees so. okay yeah. <laughs> i'm like i don't know how <laughs> it's i'm I don't so know, bad it's like 40 I, or something I, I have i literally have no idea i you could tell me anything you could be like it's 87 i'd be like okay sure <laughs> it's 103 um, <laughs> um but yeah so speaking of well it's completely Movies. unrelated but yeah uh, oh, you know unrelated of, of celsius versus fahrenheit that's the medical okay. community uses metric you know and what sure part of the medical community are we talking about today but drugstores with gruss van sant's drugstore cowboy you like that segue there huh wow now that was a segue <laughs> buddy that was a reach <laughs> yeah, oh my go. gosh my yeah specialty. So we're so yeah that is correct. We, this is my choice and yes, your choice, I, and, yeah. and I'm if for uh you know uh like scrutinous listeners or careful listeners out there might detect a theme in some of the films that I have selected during these many episodes that we've been around now. But uh this is a an American film uh directed by Gus Van Sant that was mm-hmm. released in 1989. Um it was written by James Fogel from his, uh, well, it's based on his book, Drugstore Cowboy, yeah. uh, where the screenplay wasn't written by him, but uh, based on the book of an actual real uh, junkie who actually Which I, I believe prison. hadn't been released when the, that's the correct. movie came the, out, right? Yeah. That's correct. The book had not been published uh, previous to the release of this film. It was, of course, afterwards, and it's my understanding, I don't know if it's still the case, that it's the only one of Fogel's writings that has been published. And I don't know if that's actually accurate, like up to this you know point in time right now exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of common themes here in, in some movies that I've picked. I'm pretty fond of these kind of like late 80s, early 90s. This film was important uh, to me for a lot of reasons. Personally, we'll get into that. But it's also, it's part of this, this like kind of golden era of films from my childhood, from the late 80s and early 90s, this resurgence of of, uh, of independent cinema it had had a huge impact on me we've already had a couple other films that kind of fall into this similar category like um we had uh coppola's rumblefish Rumble which Fish. also starred dylan we've had barfly which is With van uh, sant oh yeah yeah oh yeah barfly which i kind of put in this similar category yeah, similar of films. subject matter 
And uh, what else did we have? You were just we had uh, my own private Idaho. My own private Idaho, yeah. which the, was the first one, yeah. Gus Van Sant film that we uh, that we discussed. So this is the second. I, I, I'm not sure, but is this the first time that we've discussed a second film from a director? I'm not positive on that. I don't know. I can't it think could of be, another. But uh, one. yeah, I I I don't want to say yes and then have you know be proven well, completely I, I guess wrong. Technically, technically, it's not. <laughs> Technically, it's oh, not because I remember one of our one of our earlier episodes where we switched kind of formats uh, and started talking about films more broadly as opposed to just focusing on Werner Herzog. Uh, we talked about I think a couple films from Spielberg, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. You had mm-hmm. picked uh, I think a couple, and we had talked about the original Mad Max trilogy from George Miller mm-hmm. all in one episode. So I think yeah. we have talked about multiple films from the same director before. But not exactly like this, where we've mm-hmm. had entire separate episodes dedicated to them. You, so, know, you know what's funny? Just a, a quick aside to yeah, two yeah. seconds. Um, Sock it to and, me. Because and, I, I find it funny that, um, you know, a lot of times when I think people, and perhaps, you know, if you're listening right now, you 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 might have joined us well into this podcast, you know, maybe sure. 50 episodes in or something. And, and sure. I find when I'm listening to podcasts, I don't go back often and watch, listen to really right. old episodes unless it's like... I'm, I'm I'm bored. I was actually listening last night to some of our older episodes, and Uh-oh. Uh-oh. it, oh, it no. is funny because it's it's like I don't know. I noticed that I sounded I sounded really young and and lively and different, and and uh, I think oh, it's no. weird because I was like, why do I sound so so different to myself? And yeah. well, then I realized, well, we've been doing this for you know what is it now like three years? Like it's been uh, you're just an old man now. You yeah, went from a just, young. I've just a... aged so so heavily. <laughs> So um, so 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 you feel like in three years you've gone from a a young, vibrant, energetic, optimistic child, almost mm-hmm. young adult. Let's I say, went from Matt child. Dillon in this to the priest. Basically. Yeah, yeah, and now you're this like cynical, <laughs> jaded, salty yeah. old man. I mean, oh my gosh! Yeah. In three years span, Colin, I know. I'm I know. scared to it's what the world to does to you. I'm scared to think of how I've aged. I, I mean, I was old to begin with, so now I, I guess I'm, you know, I, I, I'm like a ghost speaking it's like from the beyond Shyamalan the grave. Movie, except it's the, it's the <laughs> podcast that makes you old instead of the beach. It's, it's the podcast that makes you old. All right. Well, let's let's you know, let's jump into it. My name is Bob, and this is a picture of me. It was 1971, and me and my friends had just got an apartment in Portland, Oregon. You alone? What do you think? I brought my rat-faced granny along to hold my hand? That's Rick, my old partner. Every once in a while, we'd get restless. Hey! Hit the local points of interest. What are you guys been doing? Reading Mickey Spillane or something? You know, it just seems like the other day I was saying it looks like Bobby Hughes has finally slowed down a little bit, and then bang, you knock off another pharmacy. Honey? Oh. That's Diane right there. I like Diane. She took a darn good picture, too. Better than in real life. Right out of the clear blue sky, you say you're gonna clean up your hand. Diane, I can't do it anymore. I'm going straight, man. We'll try it sometime. It's good for the soul. Thing is, no matter how good a ripoff artist you are, Sooner or later, you pay the price. 
so what we what we always love to do, and, and I'm really excited, is to hear. So this is your the first time you've ever seen the film. You've mm-hmm. you've not seen yeah. it before. So I'll be really interested to kind of compare and contrast. I saw the film for the first time when I was when I was quite young. This film came out when I was probably 12 or 13. I did not see it at the theater, uh, and I didn't rent it. I almost certainly, or at least I don't recall renting it, you know, originally when I first saw it for the first time. So my, my guess is, although I don't have a, a specific exact recollection, was that I probably saw this when it was out on cable, probably saw it on HBO or something similar, and, you know, probably had no idea what it was. It came on. And it's not something that your generation would kind of understand or know, you know, <laughs> like the viewing mm-hmm. habits of people back in the day. But you just watched whatever the hell was on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so but I remember being so I probably would have been 13, 14 years old when I first saw it. And uh, I, I just remember it having a, a I, I really lo- I loved the film. I was intrigued by the film, by the world that it created, by the uh, performances and the, the direction and uh, became a, a big fan of Gus Van Sant's work. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, I just, I think very fondly back to back to this film. It's kind of like we kind of touched on. It was part of a, a series of films that kind of had a similar fee- theme that, that spoke to me, which was that, the, you know, a lot of films I really loved were about outcasts or outsiders or people kind of living on the edge of, of society or, or maybe completely outside it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think I felt like that. And I think a lot of us, or probably all of us, as part of the human condition, have felt like that in various points in time where you kind of feel estranged from the world, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that aspect of a lot of these films spoke to me. Um, I was always really interested, too, in, in kind of getting a peek inside a, another world that I had no exposure to. Um, and I was always fascinated by that films that kind of showed a, a totally different way of living or different type of personality. Um, just a different world was like extremely intriguing to me. Um, so it's kind of falls into a theme of films about outsiders and outcasts that I've just always been drawn to. Um, but then I haven't seen the film in a very long time. Uh, so I would say probably like watching this film now in preparation for this podcast is the first time I've seen the film in maybe a decade or mm-hmm. so 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 i i won't go into I, i'm curious before i go into like what i thought on this current viewing to kind of hear a little bit about your first time experience here what your thoughts were oh i i really liked it um i i think i think i liked it more than and i and i liked my own private idaho a lot and i think uh-huh. I, I think i liked it more than than even that um yeah i don't know something about uh just the style in which it's done and yeah. the the you know Robert Yaoman's um, work on it was beautiful like there's a lot of really really good looking stuff in here it's grimy and textured and um, yeah very raw um, I thought Matt Dillon was great um, I think the subject matter again kind of like you said really is sort of relatable in a way these characters are people that that um, you know are you're rooting for them in a weird way, you know? It's mm-hmm. like even before Matt Dillon decides to kind of give up on the life and, and straighten himself out, you're kind of like you're watching him run through that hospital hoping that he gets away with stealing <laughs> pharmaceutical sure. drugs. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that I thought that was really interesting. I think that it, one funny thing is just that it's like the most attractive group of, of drug users and dealers <laughs> and addicts yeah. in history yeah. probably. So, 
I I I think I want to pause on that for a minute because I think it's hysterical. So it's like definitely one of the contrasts that I had, you know, now, right? Watching it now versus watching it as a 13 or 14 year old. You know, it's like I didn't think about that at all when I was mm -hmm. a kid, right? Mm -hmm. When I was so young, it was like, oh wow, look how like you know, because you know I have, I mean, I'm a kid. I've no, I grow up in a you know totally sanitized suburban environment. I mean, not totally sanitized, but you understand. I mean, I, mm -hmm. this is not a world I know anything about. And, you know, I would just, whoa, they're like, you know, stealing drugs. And it's like these clothes, you know, the inserts of the, you know, the, the spoon and the needle. And, and I think this was before there was a, I feel like there was, you know, Pulp Fiction, especially really kind of brought this, this uh, subject matter and this mm -hmm. way of shooting uh, drug users into a mainstream that I don't know was exactly around yet in at this you know uh, at this year. Um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of a it's sort of a uh, you know not perhaps in the contemporary meaning of the word, but sort of a romanticization a, a little, of of the the like the but sexiness it felt of grittier. it in a way. But it yeah, felt grittier it, is what I was going to say is like yeah. back then it, it felt like it was grittier, mm -hmm. and and you know you've got an overdose, you have you know. Um, it, it just, it felt so you felt much grittier and especially, you know, you've got Burroughs, you know, William S. Burroughs coming in at the end and he's this haggard old lifetime junkie, you know, kind of mm -hmm. priest speaking yeah. his wisdom and truth. And you've got these, you know, these kind of uh, the, this, this like long-term motels with the hot plates and the, you know, it's just, it's like all this world, it's like wet and rainy and it's Portland and it's, you know, uh, and I thought it, I felt it was so much grittier. And I mm -hmm. watch it now, and you're right. It's like, oh my gosh, everybody's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Like, I mean, even, you know, uh, it's like Heather Graham is like 18 or something in this film yeah. and looks as as fresh as anybody could ever possibly look. You've got you know yeah. Matt Dillon is handsome Matt Dillon looks and great, yeah, yeah, young yeah. and looking great. You know, that's what I think uh, that and I I I loved the movie, and I but I just thought that was so funny is that like yeah. when he when he goes to rehab, there's like no physical change for him. Like he just kind of puts on yeah, a, yeah. Uh, like a button up shirt instead of no, a no, leather and, jacket. I, you know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And when and when Kelly Lynch comes back, of course she's great in this film. Yeah, and she she's beautiful and wonderful in this film. And you know, uh, she she comes back at the end of the film, uh, you know, to kind of uh, reach out to uh, Bob Dylan's character when he's in his kind of long term uh, hotel on methadone mm -hmm. and he's working his job. He's kind of he's clean now. For I mean, you know on maintenance of uh, methadone but other than that clean and um yeah and, and she comes back and it's like okay now she's with you know the the uh, james the grouse character um mm -hmm. who uh what's his name uh james character in this uh, is, rick, is rick 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 yeah yeah is, yeah. you know and and, and course, nadine rick, who overdosed ex-boyfriend correct and, and yeah. rick is a good looking guy everybody's fresh and young looking and she comes back anyway and it's supposed to kind of be you know, there's been some hard times. They're still running. They're still robbing. She's still using. And she comes back and it's like, she just looks as fresh as a flower, you know, just as is mm -hmm. like stylishly dressed, well manicured and maintained, skinned is perfect, hair is perfect. And I guess it's just, it's funny how when I was little, when I was younger, it did feel so much more raw. Um, when you look at it now, it's like, wow, all these characters just look, they look perfect, perfect mm -hmm. skin, perfect hair, you know, Well, I do, people. I find it interesting <laughs> too, um, and I'm going to, I'll get back to my, kind of like my experience watching in a second, but 
mm-hmm. um, that Tom Waits was was Van Zandt's first choice to right. uh, play the Bob character, Matt Dillon's Boy, character. Boy, that would have been right? different. And I think that what's interesting to, to me about that is because Matt Dillon looks young and feels young in this movie, you know? But, yes. But it's, I think it's kind of clear in the writing, though, that he is supposed to be older and sort of like when he's talking about, uh, you know, after... Um, after Nadine Heather Graham overdoses, mm-hmm. and they're in the kitchen, uh, Kelly Lynch and Matt Dillon are in the kitchen having this conversation about like you know all these these kids don't know how to rob, they don't know like the yeah. lifestyle of, of running and stuff. And I remember when they're having that conversation, I'm like, you guys all sort of look the same age. Yeah, like Rick, like the- Rick especially doesn't look particularly younger, but but it's but it, that kind of fell into place for me when I realized, oh, Tom Waits, like it was clear kind of because even Kelly Lynch is older than Matt Dillon. Yeah, so it was, it was it's clear in the writing to me that um and that's not a you know a knock at matt dillon i think he does a fantastic role yeah yeah job with the role but uh that it's clear that that his character is written as kind of like an older right um you know more experienced user and that that does come across like he's clearly the leader of the group um yeah but no, I, I do think i do think it's interesting knowing that tom waits was in consideration sure. kind of the first choice for it was yeah. it is my understanding too I, I i think you're right on the money it's my understanding too that in in the book and fogel's book and i actually have read it but it's been a very long time since i have it's my understanding that that the character of bob was meant to be quite a bit older um and i think dylan was likely cast you know i mean i think he's great in it so it's not that i think that he's miscast or that anything's wrong here i think um he actually overcomes this issue of him physically actually, you know, in real life being young and kind of looking younger. Yeah. I think yeah. he does a good job of overcoming that with his performance. And right. I think we, we, you know, so it's almost, it almost kind of turns it into, interestingly, it turns it into somebody who is, is actually literally old to someone who's actually an old soul is kind mm-hmm. of what it turns into. Yeah. He, he's a guy with an old soul. He kind of harkens back to an era that's even before his time. You know, he he himself was raised on television. We're in '71, I think, is when this uh, when the, the the picture is set. Um, you know, he himself grew up on television just mm-hmm. a decade earlier. Um, and I think, uh, and so it's almost like he's kind of removed from his own generation, which actually yeah. I feel like works great. That you know, oh, it does. It, yeah, it kind of, well, that's another thing that I would say kind of reminded me of of Barfly in a way, which mm-hmm. is that you know Mickey Rourke and that doesn't feel old but feels no. like an old soul like feels yeah. kind of like in that way that it's like oh you, you you look at the person and you see how they talk and interact and it's like oh they've lived a thousand lives you know yeah but they're um, only like 30 years old yeah. yeah and so so i thought that that was really really fascinating yeah and very well and, done it, i mean matt Dillon's, yeah and it's interesting great. you mentioned and and it, it's interesting you mentioned i and i want you to keep going but i like to kind of touch on these things as you mentioned them you know is that i i feel like Kelly, and I'm not aware of what their actual ages are. I didn't go and, and look these things up, what their actual ages are when they shot the film. But from a performance, from a stage, pre- like from a presence perspective, you know, Kelly does feel like the eldest character in this yeah. film. N- not yeah. in that she looks old or something, but I just, she seems the most mature. Mm-hmm. She seems the most kind of, she's got the most gravitas. Well, me, most mature and and almost the most jaded as well. Like, yeah, like she's yep. had the worst lick of life of any of them, and is kind of a, the least patient yeah. with with um, with the younger uh, yeah. two, and sort of you know isn't isn't a nasty person in the movie. I mean, she's got some like nasty bits where she basically says you know kick her. She's out. on a mission, but she's but on a exactly. mission. Exactly, she's she's very 
She's a very fascinating Matter character. Matter of fact, in this. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, oh yeah, okay. So yeah, I, let's hear more because um, I think that's an interesting observation. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I think I was su- uh, surprised um, at how funny a lot of it was. Me too. Um, and, yes. and like you know when when he when he sets the uh, the there's a lot of humor in this when he sets um, James Raymar's partner up to be shot and it's, it's like the most elaborate idea of like okay i'm gonna go talk to the neighbor and i'm gonna tell him that i saw someone so that he looks like he's angry at me and it looks yeah. like we're acquaintances so then they it like it's it almost really slapstick. really really funny i was laughing it's almost slapstick isn't yeah, it I, yeah. there were a and lot of these him, moments um, yeah even even like the the bit with the the when they see that the convenience store the the windows left open and they, they yeah. climb into i don't know why it just there was a lot of like very physical comedy of that was just kind of this <laughs> this feeling of like being on the drugs or this desperation that gets so ridiculous and i think that was a really good choice on van zant's part which is that he seems to like heighten these ridiculous elements and the you know the the when the first time matt dylan shoots up in the movie and and there's mm. like needles floating through the air and cows yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, the, whole, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the house and it's like that's probably not at all what it looks or feels like to to you know do opiates and, and to inject right. them and things like that but it's it's not supposed to to me you know it's it's a heightened artistic interpretation yeah of, it sets of a just mood chaos and things in like a tone that. yeah, yeah. I, I mean it, it's like a dream state it's kind of like yes. this yeah. this dream state this like you know almost like kind of floating in limbo and kind of just the world is kind of floating by you or you're kind of floating through it and it's just you know He's his head is again in this moment that you're talking about the first of several of these kind of I, I don't know if I'd call them montages, but these mm. kind of really brief dream sequences almost um, where we're kind of let into his mind or his psyche, if you will, while he's under the influence of these drugs. But I, I just to go back to what you were saying about the comedy, I that was something that I don't know that I picked up on as much or at least I don't remember as much from my viewings as a younger kid mm-hmm. where now I, I felt like there was almost a comedic button in like every scene, you know, yeah. whether yeah. it's like, you know, when they're getting busted by the cops, when they come in to search the house, we have this like fun moment with the golf golf clubs. And he's yeah. like, oh, please, man, those are my Ben Hogan's, you know, don't break my golf clubs, man. You know, and we see like the cop even has some, you know, the detective has some sensitivities like, all right, all right, just break a couple and then leave them alone. You know, it was it kind and, of felt <laughs> it felt a bit Coen Brothersy in, in a lot of it. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. even when at the end when um, and what's the what's the uh, the young guy's name um, that which David, I think the the like the younger kind of drug Max, dealer that so so that so the the like blonde haired guy across the street yeah that shoots uh, him at the end right that yeah so max perlich is yes, the actor yeah. who played him and i want to talk about him too after when you finish your thought but yeah well well that moment when he comes in and, and you know that the, the finale of the film in the finale of the film them yep beating him up and, and matt dylan's like David? <laughs> like, the guy's not even good at, at you know, disguising yeah. himself at all. Well, he's, and he looks ridiculous even. Yeah, in the, he's in wearing the, this, like, funny little mask, yeah. In this mask, I mean, he basically almost looks like a clown. Is yeah. basically kind of, they've, they've kind of, Gus Van Sant has kind of designed this mask to almost look like a clown with the red nose. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he basically looks kind and of And you can clownish. see, like, he's got kind of, like, buck teeth almost, and they kind of... Yep. You can see them through the... the and and, it, and just and, the, yeah. way that, w- the way that Perlich is playing this character, which I think is hysterical, I, and it was a performance that stood out to me when I was a kid, and it stands out to me again 
you know, he's a pivotal player, but he doesn't spend it. The character is probably only got five or six minutes yeah, of screen time. Yeah. He's extremely important to the, the plot. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't have a lot of screen time. And, but I, I found his uh, performance to just be hysterical. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was absolutely just fun. His energy, uh, it, it's kind of off the wall. And I just thought he was a hoot. But um, so I, I was really impressed with Max Perlich's performance. But I, I, there's just so many moments of comedy in this that I, I don't know that I got when I was younger. I mean, I, <laughs> when they're, you know, when they're removing uh, Nadine's dead body from the attic where they had mm-hmm. to store it for a few days. Um, and it just, it's like Nadine, or uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, Diane is downstairs and she's supposed to be there to catch or to help, you know, Bob yeah, lower, lower down, the body yeah. down the attic stairs. And she's just like, you know, she's not there and he drops the body and it's just like, <laughs> he's he's looking down at her and she's looking up at him like, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, 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 on a whole, it's definitely a lighter tone than um, My Own Private Idaho. And I think I expected it to be sort of tonally similar to that. And yeah, but no, I mean, even, you know, you bring up the the dead body, but even the moment when they find like arguably the darkest scene in the movie when they find that she's overdosed. Right. And there is a really like touching moment where Rick is, is, you know, holding her, you know, holding her and things like that. Matt Dillon comes in and he's like, get the hat off the bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, the. and yeah. I think it speaks to, you know, it speaks to the kind of single mindedness and the coldness yes. and, and yeah. the, you know, the, the, I mean, it, it, and I think it's, it's like what we see here. And I want to talk about this more, you know, as we go through it, but this, this theme of, you know, and of course we can, I think we can extrapolate, right. This, uh, this theme to mean so many things that we've all experienced where it's maybe we don't have the same experience of being addicted to a drug that kind of caught, you know, takes our life in a direction where we're almost single-handedly focused on that thing. But I think many people, I certainly know what it's like to, at different points in my life, be so singularly focused on something that you kind of lose track of a lot of other things. I mean, you could even take this in a smaller example of, let's say, I mean, how many times have you been on set or you've worked with somebody or or maybe you yourself have been directing something and you're so single-handedly focused on the accomplishment of your day or the mm-hmm. completion of the film or whatever it is you're working on that that you're like you're not listening to people you're not you don't you're not taking anybody else into account you're not listening to their emotions or the feelings or their needs or whatever and it's just like i have this thing that i am doing and i'm getting it done at any you know by any means necessary you know what i mean it's like yeah this single and i think probably many filmmakers who are listening or many artists who are listening i think we've all kind of been in places where our obsession with with our art our craft uh can kind of cause us to be single-minded but but Mm -hmm. every all people from any walks of life can experience this but we really see that there where he's like hey you should be mad not you know you shouldn't be sad she she took you took your cut man like you should be she deserved it she deserved it you know your your woman took your cut um and of course you know we have rick act out in uh he doesn't go so far as to actually hit bob Mm -hmm, but punches the in the but door, he punches right? the door yeah. and he's not even trying to hit bob so we see like the the command or the respect that bob has over yeah. his crew even in at his coldest when he's treating them the most ruthlessly yeah. you know they won't act out against him at least directly um yeah. you're yeah. right we do see that that one of the more tender moments of the film 
uh, then when Rick is kind of is holding Nadine's dead hand mm. and comments mm-hmm. on her feeling cold. Um, and I, I gotta say, I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I liked, I, I also liked the, just the heightened kind of idea of, of like the high concept of the whole movie, which is just these mm. people are so desperate for drugs that they rob drugstores. Yeah. Um, and they just and, from one to what to another, to another, to yeah, another. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's like a, it's like a, you know, obviously it's very much like a bank intentionally. So like a bank robbery movie of, of heists and except, you know, I, yeah. I, I just love the, the way in which that the, the things are shot like heists. And yet, and because it's not a bank, everybody that they're stealing from is more so just confused. Than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when they well, when they do the point. donuts in the parking lot, and everyone just sort of comes out like, "What the hell's going well, I, on?" <laughs> I, these are great scenes. So uh, absolutely. I mean, another thing that I think stood out to me again more so now was that I, I think it was the tone. I don't know. Kind of. I almost feel like it was the tone that impacted me more when I was younger, and it wasn't so much you know, any independent, like one thing, like I kind of, mm-hmm. I think I kind of missed a little bit of the comedy. And I think I kind of missed some of these heist elements that you talk about, which are actually a, they're, they're humorous again, but they're also really interestingly shot and well staged. I want to talk about that, but yeah, those things kind of came into greater relief for me. Now those details also, I guess some of this could be memory. I mean, we are talking about something that I saw, you know, almost 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's the issue is just that, it's only the the imprint of the emotion that remains in your memory of that first viewing, sadly. Um, but I agree with you. I, I thought it was hysterical from the very first time we see them work in the very beginning of the film where Nadine um, acts out, uh, fakes a seizure, and Bob is running to the back of the store to go through the medications. And of course, like nothing is really locked down too much. It's just he just pulling up, you know, wooden drawers open with all yeah. these bottles. Of pills. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works anymore. Uh, no, I, I, I'm don't sure think, that I don't think you can do more. this. <laughs> yeah. I don't Probably think a person locked could, up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the, the world has changed from this. And I don't think a person could do the kind of things that they get away with there. Well, but I also yeah. I, I think what's interesting about it is that I, I don't. Now, I don't know anything about this, but my yeah. my guess is from also the reaction of the other characters in the film when he's in rehab is that this wasn't a very common thing to do, period. Right. Like that, that it wasn't like there was, you know, gangs roving the streets and robbing drugstores for drugs, that this is quite a, intentionally a extreme degree of, of addiction yeah. that's, that's played up for the movie. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure 100% that there have been people who have robbed drugstores for you know, well, I think James Fogel. Like so the, yeah, so the, Fogel, the man yes. who wrote it actually it was, was in prison for this and yeah, for doing and, it, and, yeah. and was released and then recaptured multiple times until his death for, for this it. exact crime, like yeah. for this exact crime. So and so I, I think that that's what's it. interesting, though, is that it's like, yeah, it's kind of a a look at, you know, when when we talk about as as a writer, you should always be raising the stakes. Of course, this is like the highest stake there can be in terms of drug use where you're mm. you're you're not buying from a dealer you're not you know and a lot of, that's pretty much where where most drug movies go is that you know addiction is is quite not normalized in a sense of like oh it's treated as normal but but they never very rarely do they decide to go kind of again high concept with it in almost in a way which i loved about this that there's this like 
like you said, kind of this slapstick comedy almost to, to a lot of it. And there's well, this... Well, it's not, you know, it's it's light in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, and especially if we compare this to a lot of more current films, I think, mm-hmm. or other films that have been released that, that have to do with uh, drugs and addiction. You mm-hmm. know, what we don't see is this melodramatic, like, you know, we don't see this trying to play up, oh my gosh, it's drugs and this is so horrible. It's not like this isn't Requiem for a Dream. This isn't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we don't see these characters really suffering because of their drug use. We don't see them in pain or agony or withdrawal, really. We don't see, you know, any of the, you know, we don't see illness. We don't see homelessness. We don't yeah. see, you know, they any like real seer we don't see them living you know living on the in the you know on the in the alleyway right like filthy i mean again like you said they're pretty they're beautiful their skin is perfect they're well fed uh Mm -hmm. they have homes so it's i don't you know i almost feel like i tell me what you think about this that it's the the movie's not really so much um you know about drugs or or what addiction is or any of those things um I think it's almost kind of more that when I watched it this time, that Bob is just almost more addicted actually to the thrill of the score. Yes. Yeah. Like any other kind of heist movie might be mm-hmm. right. It's, it's almost like uh, in heat when uh, Tom Sizemore rest in peace, when his character is like, man, it's about, it's about the juice. Yeah. I'm, of course I'm in. Yeah, and I even almost, like De Niro is is kind of like you know I'm never gonna stop you know that's yeah you know, kill me when, when that's how I'm gonna stop. It's like um, the frog and the scorpion. I'm the scorpion. You know, it's like this is what I do, and I'm good at it. And I think Bob really takes pride mm-hmm. in in his ability. You know, it's like boom, he notices the transom windows. Open. Well, actually, I want he, that's a, a fascinating point to make too because I think to me that's if you, again comparing this to other movies of similar subject matter, like there's not. There's not even a lot of moments of Matt Dillon or anyone really being like high in the movie. You know, uh, there's there's a select moments, but only um, only a couple times. Yeah, I yeah. mean, so there, there's a very like very specifically, and it's the it's the time that I noticed most this time um, is when uh, instead of doing like a an op and I always get these wrong opioid opiate I don't but something in that class of drugs instead of doing that. I think he he's just recently done Speed, right? I think that he mm-hmm. bought or traded off the um, Max Perlich's character. Yeah. Um, and you see him like uh, David is his character's name. You mm-hmm. see, uh, a- and he's kind of alone in the living room with um, Diane, and she's like wanting to kind of fool around and and um, make love. And he is like, he's on speed. He's like grinding his jaw. He's like bouncing his legs. He's got like, you know, he's kind of covered in sweat. And he's mm-hmm. just, you know, super focused on, oh my gosh, you know, this like one score we could do. There's this one score. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. It's really the only time that I feel like we really see like an like a intense physicalization yes. uh, of, of drug use is just that one time. We do have these moments, like you had mentioned, where he shoots up in the car and we kind of have this, you know, little fantasy dreamlike limbo montage. Um, but it's not really like in his physical presentation or performance. We only see it in this time on speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I mean, I think that that scene there also shows like he's so preoccupied with the score. I mean, he's got plenty of drugs. Like they just score they just scored a ton of drugs. It's like 
he, he's good at this. It's what he knows how to do. It's what he does. And it's like all of this kind of history of film, this lineage of films that are like, I'm a boxer, you know, so I'm going to box it. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a bank robber. I'm going to rob banks. It's almost kind of like this. Well, this is what I'm good at. This well, is he, what I he know almost how specifically to do. refers to it as like a high too. Well, yeah. Like he's like when, when they rob the, the, store that the transoms open and then he's like well i've got to go do a hospital now because i gotta i gotta get i got like to get the next big hit well and and he's fantasizing about it right he's like these bottles all these bottles and the blue you know he's like he's like fetishizing all of the uh, you know the whole process you know Mm -hmm. fetishizing the bottles they come in and the colors of the capsules and you know and and it's not like he's not approaching it from a perspective of I, I gotta like get my drugs so I don't go into withdrawal and feel horrible, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Or it's not like it's not like I gotta get these drugs to feel this great high. Yeah, he doesn't it's feel desperate. He it's feels... it's literally like I I gotta do this because I, I I just I he's like fetishized the process of robbing pharmacies and like getting away with it. And it's all you know. Yeah. And I think even the cat and mouse game with the detectives, he loves that. So kind of going back to heat, right? It's almost kind of, that's kind of part of it. It's like everybody's got a role to play, right? The cop and the criminal aren't really much different. They just happen to be on different sides of a law. But they're really kind of the same personality-wise, right? Uh, the detective kind of gets off on the chase, and the criminal kind of gets off on the, on the you know, on the chase as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see, like you had mentioned that scene that you thought was really humorous where... Uh, and I think it's hysterical. I didn't remember this really, where Bob kind of fakes, you know, forges this note that's like, you know, from a neighbor and he gives it to the detective and it's like describes this whole process of how he's actually keeping drugs in his neighbor's home. And yeah. he's like thrown this ball of yarn, you know, on to the slide roof. them across. Yeah. yeah. To like slide, you know, to kind of like pulley system, you know, but it's and totally so he, fake. It's totally, yeah, it's totally fake. Up. He sets yeah. up, he sets up this whole ruse where, you know, we see him like he opens his window, throws the yarn over there, totally, you know, unbeknown to the neighbor. And he mm-hmm. sets up this whole ruse. And you can see, I love this moment when the, when his old, uh, when his neighbor first comes over to the door and it's like this 90 year old lady, white haired woman, and she's like, hey, I, you know, and she's so naive, you know, and she comes over and she's super sweet. And and Dylan opens the door. Bob opens the door. Rick's right behind him. And it's like, you know, I mean, anybody else would look at these two and be like, OK, what in the hell are you up to in the middle of the night? You know, these two guys like covered in sweat, you know, but it's like like they look like they're, you know, been up all night doing something. Right. And and. And, and she's looking at him and she's like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't mean to disturb you, but I think I saw some nefarious person in the neighborhood. And you just see Bob's eyes light up where we see him getting the idea. Like he's getting the idea like, ah, aha, it's mm-hmm. OK. I know I know who's I know Gentry is is almost certainly uh, surveilling me right now. I've got this idea. And I just love that moment. You can see. His eyes light up in the same way they light up when he's when he's planning and thinking about and fantasizing about a score. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's what I feel like this character is really addicted to. And of course, and yeah. Well, so- what does he do when when the when the cop does get shot? Is he like rips open the curtains like it's a yeah, show? Like, a, like it's, it's a, a it's a yeah. performance. And yeah. so that's such a great point. I love that. I love this moment where we literally have Bob 
it's like the director of the scene that mm-hmm. we're about to see. He's like set the stage. He's going to open the curtain. He's got an audience. <laughs> he's got an audience. And literally the audience like is like, hey, I need to get my smokes. Yeah, hey, I need, I need to get, get my beer. <laughs> and he's like, guys, you're going to miss it. You're going to yeah. miss it. And it's just like, I, I feel like that's me when I'm like screening a film for my friends. And they're like, I got it. I'm like you can't leave right now like this is the best part (laughs) and it's and so i guess that's where like i feel like it's so relatable and this i feel like is really a beautiful kind of micro moment that encapsulates the symbology where you know i almost can see like bob is gus van sant and you know van sant like so many filmmakers like i mean i'm obsessed with cinema dude i i mean I spend more time doing something related to cinema than practically anything else, you know, in, in my life. And mm-hmm. and it's it's been maybe like one of the only couple things that I my interest in has never waned. I have never stopped loving cinema. I have never stopped wanting to be a part of cinema. Um, it's I, I, at some points in my life, uh, like when I was really actively pursuing a career as an actor in Los Angeles. I, I was extremely single-minded mm-hmm. to the detriment of like all other kind of aspects of my life. Um, and uh, and I almost can sense that, you know, it's like that Gus Van Sant might be speaking a little bit through Bob, you know, here. Uh, that, that it's that thrill of whether it's writing or whether it's directing on set or whether it's editing or whatever, you know, whatever kind of aspect really turns your crank about filmmaking, what it, you know, that I could just totally see that, that Bob is Gus Van Sant right there in that moment. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love that scene. And it's that such a, and of, it's cause it's, it's also, it's like, I was, I was laughing so hard as you're watching the, you know, he's, he's, it's it's almost sort of like also like a Rube Goldberg machine. Like he's like watching. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, like yeah. there's the ladder. He's climbing the ladder. Yep, oh, yeah. the light goes on. There's his, him with his shotgun. He's coming outside. And get, like it's like this. You know, it's like he's spent this last you know 15 minutes of screen time setting up this yeah. this elaborate machine, this elaborate play. Yeah, it's for sure. And then knocks over but, the domino, right? And, and and that domino obviously could have ended like you know if this were another film. Uh, I could imagine that 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 would have been like you know the cop is is shot and killed and yeah, now and he's got a murder and, on his hands yeah. and you know it's this really see how horrible drugs are do you see what this can lead you to like this is yeah. so horrible but what happens is that he does get shot but we dev- we the, he, we know immediately he's okay mm-hmm. and the worst thing that's happened is he's just been booted down to a lower level he's embarrassed uh, yeah yeah he's yeah. embarrassed um, and. And, and Gentry's not really upset, um, and, and it's all treated kind of fairly lightly, yeah. right? Um, as so much is, and I find that that's you know what I I think one of the things that I really do love about Gus Van Sant's work, and I've actually not seen all of his films. There are quite a few more I need to see, um, but but of those I have, often I see you know he, he's. I, I really appreciate that he doesn't judge or criticize his characters, which is really mm-hmm. important for me. It's generally a big turnoff for me when I when I feel a lot of like, here's what you should think about something, and I'm gonna like keep telling you this is what you should think about it. Not a big fan of that in films. Mm-hmm. Um, when when films kind of get didactic or you know or worse, um, and so I really love that he allows his characters to exist and he doesn't judge them, he doesn't criticize them. That's up to you to do. 
whether yeah. you want to, or, you know, if you want to or not. And and so I and so what that translates t- to me is that there's a lot of empathy and compassion for for all types of people in his work. And I really appreciate that. That comes across strongly to me. That's something that I noticed and impacted me when I was young, too. And we talked about that some for my own private Idaho, how I really noticed that. And I think it impacted my own personal horizons of empathy and expanded them. Yes. Um, yeah. But but it's also, I mean, he's got such a sense of humor. We've talked about that. So not only is he not judgmental, not only is he not critical, but he sees the humor in even the most fringe kind of ways that a person could live. Because this film could be, so many dark things this film could have gone into about what this lifestyle actually could be like in real life. Mm-hmm. But in this particular slice, in this film... He really treats it lightly with humor. Now, there's, it's not that there's no gravitas. There clearly mm-hmm. is. And, and when we get to the end of the film, I think we see that. Uh, and William I mean, it's dark was, humor, too. It's not. And it's, it's dark, yeah. yeah. Uh, very dark, and he's got, we've got a little dramatic irony that we'll get to that he ends it on, which mm-hmm. is different than the, the book, where the character actually dies uh, mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, here we're kind of left to decide for ourselves what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I just, well, I think I, 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 to make it just another quick point about that too, is that like, doesn't even have to be quick. I'm loving this. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that, I think that it's just really fascinating to me that, um, you know, talking about again, heightening situations, raising the stakes and it's like, okay, we've got a house where we're renting like a motel mm-hmm. room, oh, yeah, yeah. um, long-term Yep. And we've got it full of drugs. Now we have someone who's overdosed and died. We've got to hide got them in the body. same place that we we're spot- hiding that the attic. Yeah. Yep. And that's where we're hiding the drugs. And then what happens but a sheriff's convention is in town. <laughs> and so Did it's you know like, not it? only is it just like that there's a terror, like a sheriff that's like, yeah. hey, I smell something funny. You know, what's going on in here? It's right. literally every room at this motel is now yep. being over taken over by a sheriff and they are yeah. kicked out the what do they have to do but transport the body while all these sheriffs are pulling up and it's just filled with like it's the parking lot is all these different you know cop I mean, cruisers and things like that and it's a great you know it's really it's tense as an audience member but it's tense in sort of a you know a i almost want to say way. like a it's like a comedy yeah it's like, like, like a comedy it's of like errors. after hours yeah um, like the scorsese oh, yes. after hours where yes. it's you just feel like despite the fact that the world is kind of throwing all this shit at our main character. He is kind of loving the the excitement of it all. And I know that yes, that sort of is. scares him into it, but then we we what we realize later and what is hinted at is that he's not even scared out of um you know this lifestyle because he he thinks he's going to die or he thinks you know he talks about the fact that he's afraid of going to prison. But yeah. it's more so the fear of prison isn't necessarily the fear of prison, it's the fear of not being able to continue doing what he loves yeah. doing. Yeah. And so, yeah. and he talks about, okay, like I made a deal with a higher power. If I can get out and I can bury this body, I can, you know, I, I'll, yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to get myself clean. Well, and then, well, that's the, and then that's of course the dramatic irony at the end of the film. So, is, so I think, yeah, I, I, before we get to that, I, mm-hmm, before yeah. we get to the end of the film, I, cause I think you've touched on something that's important to the film. It's a huge theme and we haven't talked about it yet, which is this superstition that they all, this, the superstitious kind of beliefs that they have. Uh, and and are motivated by and especially by Bob, we really get a sense that you know Bob is probably the the instigator, right, of all these superstitious beliefs. Now Diane's been with him for so long that she has like accepted this, I think, and fully you know believes in Bob's strict codes 
to avoid bad luck and to take mm-hmm. advantage of good luck. Uh, Rick and Nadine really are kind of like, eh, you know, Nadine obviously goes so far to spite Bob's, you know, actively go against Bob's uh, uh, superstitious beliefs. And, you know, we aren't quite sure if she overdoses on purpose or accident. We don't mm-hmm. know if she kills herself kind of to spite them or does she overdose because she's naive and she doesn't really know what she's doing. Because they do can... set up that idea that, you know, a, a little bit of this can kill you, you know, and, the yeah, drug that and she so, takes. And so we don't know. We don't know. Now, she, yeah. she doesn't seem in any way, shape, fashion, or form to be, have suicidal suicidal tendencies before this, but we do have her feelings really, really hurt right before mm-hmm. this. She we breaks know she's down. In a bad, yeah. She's in a broken down, really depressed, sad state. So it could go either way. We don't know. But, of course, you know, to Bob, it totally reinforces his beliefs in superstition. She put a hat on a bed. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Boom, right? You know, um, he's got his rule about dogs. He has his rule about hats. I mean, he's very, very, very... Uh, moved by these things. We have this really beautiful moment, I think, where uh, Diane and Bob are sitting alone in like a dark bedroom or, you know, with just a one little nightstand light on there. And they're talking about, they're trying to kind of figure out like, where in the, where are we in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, w- w- like they're trying to kind of unravel the mysteries of how luck works, um, which is like quite, beautiful to me actually Mm -hmm. i think it's a really Mm -hmm. wonderful scene and i think we all do this in our own ways if it's not luck so much as like well how does the universe work damn it right like you know it's incredibly exploratory you know it's yeah it's it's very clearly using the life of you know drugs and things like that as 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 to as a stand-in for larger questions which i found very fascinating you know it's not and i think that's part of what really elevated the movie for me was that like you go into a movie and you expect it to be again like you said requiem for a dream where it's just this depressing gross out you know this is how awful drug use is which it is you know don't get me wrong i'm not disagreeing with the thesis of of any movie that says you know hardcore drug addiction is bad i think that's a pretty easy line to, to land on but um but it's reductive but, to do but that. But I think because... it's it's exactly it's it's like we we know that you know what's the point in making a movie where you're just gonna well, point and out you've removed you've you've removed the humanity about it. Well, like, the humanity those... and the agency of the characters in a lot and, of ways right, too. exactly. And that's where it's like you know instead of making a movie about drugs and drug use, you make a movie about humans who happen to also take drugs. That's a big yeah. difference. That's a huge yeah. difference. To and me. and again, use that drug use you know you don't have to make it the most realistic portrayal of what that is like and that's kind of why i made the joke about like oh yeah these are all the most attractive you yeah. know, drug addicts ever seen <laughs> sure. but it doesn't doesn't matter like it's not something that i was doesn't watching matter. i wasn't taken out of the movie by any chance because i think the film exists in that subject matter with not a wink but more so uh, a higher reading of the material yeah. You know, it's it's I mean, taking the the idea, like you said, where it's like, where do we fit in the universe? What's with these superstitions? Um, it's not even again the addiction for for Bob isn't even necessarily the drugs; it's the chase, and it's fitting in and and being an outsider and and all these really interesting elements that you know, especially as you know, someone in you know in my early twenties, I can definitely relate to this feeling of like what the hell am I doing with my life? You know, like where, where it doesn't is change. Going? Don't worry. You're, you're going to yeah. have, you'll, and, but I think that, and I think that really is so pivotal 
Uh, I think it's a really wonderful thing that they explore in this film, and it's it, it, there are certainly some questions that I think we're all, uh, or almost all of us, or most of us, I'm assuming, this is like such a like such a foundational part of the human condition that we're all struggling or wondering or trying to find our purpose in life, right? What what are we making of our life? Why are we here, right? What are mm-hmm. we doing? What, you know, I think purpose is so. Is, is I mean that's the question. What is your purpose to me? You know, and and I think that's what Bob is like. What these characters are are dealing with, and I think you know, like we've talked already so much about you know that he's found something he's good at and he wants to do it. You know, um, but he also there's this really beautiful uh, little short monologue there where he talks about how you know one of the reasons that these that these people are taking drugs is because and one of the things that drugs does for these people is that you know how you're going to feel all the time mm-hmm. the, just look at the label and and so it's like trying to find or make some order in this chaos that mm-hmm. is existence in this confusion and this like existential like wacky like whirlpool of of a of a soupy mess that we all live in and that we struggle with that that hey like you you might look at me on the outside and say you know you're a horrible you know drug user addict whatever but he but it's like i found order man mm-hmm. i found i found a way to have order i found a way to know what's going to happen from one moment to the other and for bob i found my purpose mm-hmm. i'm really good at this i might be the best at this and I found my family, and uh, you know, so I, I guess that's what I really appreciate about a, about Van Sant's uh, approach to this subject matter and approach to this film um, that you don't see in a lot of other films. It's at least that's what stood out to me. That's what yeah, stands out yeah. to me. You well, know? do you do you remember when it came out? If it was controversial um, for I that, I really sort of, don't. You know, yeah. I don't. I so wish that I had a. Better I'd be curious just because yeah. again, it's not. It doesn't. It's not well, like an indictment of no. The lifestyle I, I think it way, was praised. So. I mean, yeah. I, I so so in general, you know. I, now I don't remember what the response was in real time back when I was twelve years old. But I, I mean, I know that it was a well received film. I, it was you know a very small box office uh, response, but it was mm-hmm. made its money back. Um, it was theatrically released. I think it found a pretty good following on you know cable and home rentals after the fact. And, um, I mean, it was pretty critically acclaimed, you know, um, and it allowed Gus Van Sant to go on to have the career he's had. So mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, I think the, the value of the film was recognized in its time for sure. Um, well, I actually I, want to touch on that too. You, so you, yeah. you, you mentioned, um, you know, home video and things like mm-hmm. that. And I think that yeah. that's, um, I think it's a conversation we both kind of wanted to have about this, which is that, you know, you've got this $2.5 million film. I think that was what the yeah. budget was. Right. Um, you know, not unknown actors, but, but uh, you know, not it's not starring Tom well, I think Cruise. I, it's not, I mean, but Matt Dillon was... Matt Dillon had quite the career at Matt this point. Dillon yeah. had, Outsiders Matt Dillon, and... Uh, yeah, Matt Dillon had some pull. I mean, yeah. you know, ever since like 1980 with My Bodyguard... You know, yep. and then with yeah. the outsiders in '83, uh, sorry, the outsiders in '83, uh, Rumblefish was not a big hit, but of course everyone know, knew who Francis Ford Coppola was. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was. Yeah, in Matt that. Dillon definitely was. I would, I would guess, kind of the, 
the he was the biggest name the, in it. The biggest name in the film, yeah. I think, would be a fair uh, a fair estimation. But you know, um, it, but it's I, interesting I, I, too. I just want to point out real quick. Sure, I, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think this is kind of interesting. You know, um, and Kelly Lynch had been in a few films too. But she had been in Bright Lights, Big City, which I think is an underrated uh, film from 88 with Michael J. Fox, who was mm-hmm. playing against most of the characters he had played up. I mean, maybe I think all the characters he had played up until that point. Um, and then Cocktail, you had mentioned Tom Cruise. She mm-hmm. actually was in a film co-starring with Tom Cruise in 88's Cocktail. And then this film, I, I can't remember how big of a hit it was at the time. Um, I think it was a pretty substantial hit and went on to be huge, uh, almost like a cult hit now, even though it it was like a big hit before, but Roadhouse mm. with um, Swayze. So she had been in some big films too by the time she got to Drugstore Cowboy. So I think, you know, Lynch and uh, Dylan were decent sized names by the time we get to this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and so it's, it's definitely got some pull with with stars and things like that um and yet i think what's very fascinating to me and the only the one thing i wanted to mention this is because you did mention that the home video release is that like it was even a big budget movie back you know 20 years ago uh, Mm -hmm. was was difficult to lose money on even if it didn't do great in its theatrical release well now you've got home video you've got rentals you've got like all this stuff whereas i think in the world of of streaming i think one of the reasons that we've lost this kind of low budget mid-budget drama not that this is quite low budget but um you know anywhere from like one to 30 million dollar movies are just so rare these days is because there is no chance like you you know studios don't want to take chance on doing something that's like really low investment in quotation marks air quotes um because there is no aftermarket for it you know it's just going to go on to streaming it's going to be licensed and it'll be and lost it's so hard to make exactly it's so hard to make money back on streaming it's um, tough I, and so i think tough, it's really yeah. fascinating how how like home video how huge of a a, a market that was and yeah. now you know i still uh, you, I know you definitely do, and I definitely still do uh, as much physical media as I can. I but do, a lot of yes. things just aren't aren't released on physical media. You know, a lot of things are just out of print or just are never going to get the chance to. And so I think it's it's kind of fascinating how, you know, like would a movie like this uh, see any theaters these days? Probably not. You know, it would I, probably be like an Apple TV movie that would come out and get maybe a week of buzz or something and and yeah it could be the i don't even think it would be and, that i, I yeah. sadly i i don't even think it would be that i think um boy and i'm not an expert you know on 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 these things i i i'm not uh, like an executive somewhere i don't have inside information so it's kind of like armchair quarterbacking here mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um but but yes i mean what you like kind of the 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 crux of what you say is definitely true i think you know especially you know, we have VHS first. It's a huge popular medium. You've got, uh, originally you have a lot of rentals, but then I think you did start to have a lot of purchases once the, the pre-recorded cassettes actually came down quite a bit in price later in VHS's life. But in, in the beginning, it was mostly, you know, it was at rental uh, revenue. Um, but then you have DVD. And DVD, I think, really exploded the physical media sales, like actual selling physical media to people. I think that's when that really took off. And you could have a film 
um, not have to make back its money at the theater at all. And mm-hmm. a matter of fact, a lot of studios would be like full on. I, I we have no expectations that this film is going to make its money. At, at yeah, the we'll theater. do like a slow release of maybe a hundred theaters at a time, and but yeah. we know that we're going to get DVD physical media sales. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you, you sell it to networks, you sell it to cable, and then you sell it to networks, uh, and you've got rentals, and then you've got physical media sales. Um, and so I think there was more leeway there, but I think. You know, now we live in an era now, and I think we're in a period of big transition again. I think there's some consolidation. I think there's, there's, you know, the, the streaming platforms have thrown so much money at production for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. I think the economics, economics are going to have to shift. Yes. Uh, And I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. I don't know if it's going to be consolidation. I don't know if that's going to be in just less money in production. But we're kind of in a in a sea of production right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't I can't remember who who described it as this, but it was some big name actor, like really, you know, a list um, made a video. I can't remember who for the life of me who it was um, talking about how like. You know, and he, who was it? I'm not even going to try and think of who it was. It'll Tell the story and you'll that. maybe but remember it. Yeah, yeah, so they were talking about how, you know, this is an actor that's been in big movies since the, the 80s, I think. Okay. And they're talking about how, like, you know, the first time, for the first time, sorry, I mean, in, in like since 2010, suddenly the industry is run by marketing and finance people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and it's, it's not that, that, the film industry has not always been a business. Of course, you know we, of course, we yeah. say this a lot that it's of course always been about it's a business. It's making money, and, sure. and that's the the goal. And that's since day unfortunate, one. Unfortunate, yeah. but it's it's that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but he kind of said like you know for the first time over the last few years, especially with streaming, is that now it's it's not only run by corporations as as always, but it's run by again marketing and finance people rather than you know, people who have worked their way up through Fox sure. from being well, a line producer to a, you know, the, the yeah. head of production or whatever. And now yeah. it's more so that people are imported from tech companies, from yep. Silicon Valley, from Absolutely. Facebook, from things like that. And and they yes. are running the show. And so it's no longer really got anything to do with, with uh, quality no, or, or the depth of the cinema. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's got to do only with what's a, what's a, a biteable, approachable, like in, I think a really raw example of this is, and I'm, this just started maybe five or so years ago. But the, those things on YouTube where it's like the trailer before the trailer, where you've got a five second preview of the trailer that is about you're about to watch, and it's like, well, that's just a calculation based off of the fact that most people click off of a video after five seconds, blah 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 blah. And it's like, yeah. But God, it does it. It's it's such a minor thing, but it bothers the hell out of me because I'm like, why do I need a trailer for the trailer I'm about to watch? And it's well, and it's I, it's very much things like that where it's like a calculated, yeah, 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 focus tested I, kind of thing. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, and again, like what I think what you're saying is like fundamentally true. Uh, it's been happening for a long time. I mean, I think you know, you know, originally when the studios were the studios. And they weren't owned by when they weren't small subsidiaries of other major non-related conglomerate companies. You had people generally running them who had some kind of education in and love for the actual art itself. Maybe not universally, but mm-hmm. but substantially. You had heads of studios who who did love cinema and loved the world of film. Um and I think once those major studios, you know, so long before streaming platforms and before it was more about tech uh, involvement, 
but you had companies being bought by major conglomerates like GE, for example. You know, it's like Sony is another example. You have these studios bought by much, much larger companies, and then that that the filmmaking part of that company then uh, its revenue is tiny, right? Like the 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 company that buys these studios is is so much larger than the little studio they bought yeah uh, even though we thought of think of them as being large yeah. but relative to the company that bought them you know it's these like multinational they're they're making they're yeah. making you know 50 billion dollars making microwaves right yeah. and the you know 1 billion dollars that's being made by the studio it's it's like it's just you know so yeah, you've got you've got executives now making decisions and running these companies, and and of course they're they're public companies, they're owned by stockholders. So the the it's the bottom line, it's the quarterly stock price that matters. You have that you have that started long ago, mm-hmm. and then now right you've got Netflix, Apple. Um, it, it's I don't think these companies are are run by people who are in the same way as the studios of old uh, in love with cinema. You know, mm-hmm. I think you're right. And that so we've seen a slow progression after, you know, the studios are bought up, become smaller parts of yeah, larger. Paramount is Viacom. Yep. Yeah, now like you've got huge, now yeah. you've got streaming. And so you've got tech companies like Apple, you know, running production for their channel or Netflix or whatever. Uh, and so, yeah. And Amazon is a great example. Amazon with Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think that is a big difference. I, I think also you see, you know, streaming, you know, also we, we see this continued shift. I mean, since the invention of television, we see this continued shift to people, uh, going to theaters less and less and watching more and more content at home. And so what do we see now? A story like this, instead of being told in an hour and a half or two hour long film, it's still, it's told over like an eight or 10 episode TV series. Yeah. Like a right? series, Yeah. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people love being able to binge TV shows and things. What I have found I, to me more and more and more is that really what we're actually seeing, uh, I think there's like a golden era of or second golden era, whatever people call it, of television. And some of that's true where we had Sopranos and The Wire and Breaking Bad and Mad Men and some of these shows. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we've gone so far now that these stories are so diluted. You know, it's like this would have been a great story if you told it over two hours. But I find that crap, so much. You, yeah, you you told this damn story over ten hours, and like nothing is happening in, in an episode. Now yeah. I want to be clear, I don't judge a story by how much quote unquote plot happens. That's not yeah. what I mean. Yeah. I just mean there's there's like nothing here in this episode. It feels like a bunch of air. It's filler. There's yeah. no stakes. No, I, I I don't like. It's just I'm. You're losing me. You're losing me. But it's, it's because it's, they've got to um, get eight to ten hours of content, you know. You know, speaking of feeling like an outsider, it's it's really uh, I I don't <laughs> I, I don't have an answer, but yeah. I all I can say is that it does sort of you know it does disappoint me that there's a huge swath of people, especially in my generation, who would who would rather you know binge watch a, a nine nine or ten hours of a miniseries on Netflix or on HBO or whatever mm-hmm. than um, sit down and watch an hour and a half movie. I, my you wife know, is it's, that way. And it's 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 bizarre. It's kind of weird to me, but I, I, you know, it's like what do what do we as storytellers? How do we approach that and, and kind of yeah. and it's because it's I think like you said you you kind of hit the nail on the head where the amount of times that I've watched a show and I've been like you know this is a good show. I don't watch a lot of TV, but you know occasionally right. I'll, I'll I'll sit down and watch one and I 
thought to myself, this is really good. And then you get to, you know, episode six of 10 or something. And it's like, <laughs> oh, this is the episode where they're going to talk about the time that the the convenience store down the road closed. And it's going to be a little offshoot <laughs> episode. And it's like, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie or the, the show. And it's just because they needed to get the show to 10 episodes. And right. I remember Stranger Things, which I'm not a huge fan of, but right. uh, I've seen it. And, and I remember, I can't remember what season it was, but there was an episode of that where it was like, I just... I got 10 minutes into it and I just knew it was filler. And so I was like, I'm skipping this, skipped it. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't not know anything. Like I wasn't left out of anything. I, I completely yeah. understood everything in the next so few So much filler. And well, they, they should have stopped that show after the first season, but that's yes. a whole Well, that first other... season should have just been a, a it clearly a movie. wanted to be a movie. So, yeah, I, but, I know. Um, I think that that's, and I think that that's honestly, I think a lot of these people that do write and create these shows know that. And they, they would very much be rather, you know, making a, a, a film, except it's just not what these There's streamers no money. want. You know, it's and not what they, it's not what the, and the money's not there for it. I, yeah, I agree. So to, to, to go full circle, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's this, um, I, a think that this movie couldn't be made for 2.5 mil with the cast it has. And Unlikely. The, yeah. The incredible talent behind it is, is remarkable. But yeah. I think that these days you would just never get that funding for it. And B, like you said, um, well, you I wouldn't be able to theatrically see, release you know, we'd it. We'd see drugstore, like HBO's Drugstore Cowboy, you know, 10 part miniseries. And, <laughs> and it would be. No, you wait. With all of the like remakes that are happening, yeah. I, I would not even oh, bat yeah. an eye if I saw a, 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 a promo somewhere that was like, you know, coming to Netflix drugstore cowboy yeah. you know the whole like episode would be series. about them trying to get the body uh, out of the, yeah, the motel a whole episode. Like the entire would, episode which and i think just to just to really i think drive the point home the fact that you can you could do that i could see that in my head right now that a whole episode and, and it would probably be, be acclaimed it's like oh my god yeah. this whole episode is just about them yeah, trying yeah. to get this body out it's so <laughs> it's so great and tense and yet yeah that it's what what amounts to about five or ten minutes of screen time in the movie is so yeah. tense, but so exciting and and fun and and really like it's efficient. I think that's the yeah, thing is that it's it drives efficient. its point home. It gets everything done, and it doesn't feel like it's rushing through anything. It's just not at all efficiently told. It's not overstaying its welcome, and I think that that's really important to to all storytelling. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, I you know the a couple of things that I I want to talk uh, about before we uh, before we close on the mm -hmm. subject of drugstore cowboy to bring it back specifically to the film. I mean, we mentioned kind of in passing, but I you know I William S. Burroughs being in this film, I think is yes. such a wonderful it's such a wonderful extra little treat. Yeah, and I I actually think, of course, he's not an actor per se. Um, and, but I think his performance in this film is is really wonderful. Of course, you know he's from St. Louis, Missouri, so props there. Um, and uh, of course, he was like a, a beat poet uh, and a writer uh, and a junkie himself, and was not shy about uh, about telling people that. I don't. I mean, literally wrote novels about it. Um, and uh, I think his performance is is really lends like almost this otherworldly kind of gravitas and quality to it to me i think is so helpful in bringing around and kind of closing this third act mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i i, I th it's such a beautiful 
you know, you'd mentioned real briefly right before we started recording, you know, uh, his um, Nostradamic like almost, you know, uh, monologue about drugs and drug users being used uh, in the future for, you know, for the, the like international law enforcement agencies to create this giant, you know, apparatus, multi-billion yeah. dollar apparatus of in and infrastructure, uh, you know, just as an excuse to kind of just go into every aspect of a person's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that has happened. It had already been happening uh, when this movie start when this movie was set. Uh, of course, Nixon in the United States mm-hmm. really like led the kind of modern charge uh, on a quote unquote quote unquote war on drugs that we and have then, now. Yeah, Reagan, and then, of course, doubled down Reagan, on that. Reagan. Yeah. And, and it's not really let up, I don't think, too much, uh, except a little bit with the legalization of marijuana in some states um, and some decriminalization in some pockets of our, you know, of the country here. Oregon being one of them. Of course, this was mm-hmm. shot in location mostly in Oregon and around Portland, which I think is actually quite beautiful. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, I just well, think this be- the beautiful, you know, we're kind of wrapping up the film and you have William S. Burroughs after he's befriended Bob. And, of course, they, um, Diane comes. We talked about, you know, visits Bob and drops off some drugs. Maybe that was like her last attempt to try to convince him to come back mm-hmm. uh, by tempting him with the drugs. He doesn't fall for it. He actually gives them to William S. Burroughs' character. And, um, and they kind of befriend each other. He plays this priest, Father Tom Murphy, so they kind of befriend each other. I just think it's so beautiful when David comes in and shoots Bob up and he's being carried out of the hotel into the stretcher, into the hearse. And uh, Father Tom Murphy closes the curtain. I think it's yeah. just such this beautiful moment. Um, but I, 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 I didn't forget that he was in the film. But I just paid sp- uh, special extra attention to his well, presence it's, in it's it this time. Such a hypnotic tone shift in it a really is. good way. Like it's yes. like every time I almost felt like, and I don't think this is the case, but every time William Burroughs is speaking in the movie, it's almost like they just let him speak without a script. Like that he's just giving you this this mm. wisdom. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah, feels like it, it almost it. it feels kind of the opposite side of the coin of like a Colonel Kurtz, where it's like you just are, are transfixed on every word this guy says, and he's got such a hypnotic tone and, and mm. pattern of speech where he sort of speaks slowly and low and almost like he's talking to a ghost, and it's uh. really, really a fascinating tone or shift. he is a ghost. Kind of fast-paced, exactly. Um, and then even, you know, after, of course, David shoots Bob and, and he's wheeled out, and uh, they've got uh, Gentry, I believe, is the, the, the police officer's name. Um, yeah, Gentry, Gentry, yeah. Yeah, uh, and he, you know, it's kind of also touching that this this guy really does want Bob to get better and to kind of, you know, it's like this, for perhaps, yeah. again, superficial reasons of just, like, community safety and all that. But, but, no, but um, they have a relationship. But they, they do. There's, like, like they a weird a kind of, re- yeah, it's like he's yeah. almost like this this father figure in a way that's, yep. like, disappointed in his son. And, and yes. of course, it ends on this great, this great, you know, montage and monologue of, of uh, Bob basically deciding that, like, well, that's my debt paid to the hat, and now I can fall back yeah. into so, the world of, you know, that I love. Well so. well, so it's so interesting, right? Because the book ends with Bob dying, but mm-hmm. here we have, and, and I think this is a really interesting treatment on the ending, you know, we have Bob being hauled away in the stretcher, and, and it's a bookend. 
we book it. He, it Gus Van Sant bookends in the film. We start mm. with this over the head uh, close up shot of Bob, uh, his face lying on the gurney. We, you know, he's kind of telling his story throughout the film. He's kind mm -hmm. of narrating it. We come back at the end, and he's been shot. He's like actually doing the right thing finally, and he actually even you know stops David from harassing this guy. David comes back and you know uh, seeks his wrath, his vengeance, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so Bob's actually kind of done a decent thing here. He's in a better place in his life, at least according to society, than he has been at any other time. And here's where he ends up. He's in the hearse, and we have this beautiful moment where he's like, I, "Like you said, I've paid the debt." Okay, whew. all right. That was that was what the that's what the hat needed from me. I've paid that off. I've finally done with that. And look how awesome this is. The ambulance has taken me to a place that's going to be filled with drugs. So yeah. we have this. Yeah. So we have this sense that Bob is going to heal up, likely. And go back to uh, to Robin pharmacies and hospitals. Yeah, uh, we don't know for sure, but they kind of hit towards that. It doesn't seem like he's in any critical life-ending, you know, uh, circumstance. I mean, he has been shot, but it's not like the paramedics are back. Yeah, there, they say that you, know. you can. The, the cop can talk to him for a few. Like, yeah, it's not. Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you, yeah, you can chat for a few minutes. It's all yeah. good, you know. So yeah. we really don't get the sense that there's this huge urgency or anything like that. So. Uh, so it's, you know, I love that the character, he doesn't, you know, he's going to go right back to what he was doing before. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm actually surprised in today's day and age, you know, they probably would make like a drugstore cowboy too. You know, now he's older. The, t the TV series would be that he's older and this is yeah. just like new crew. And, <laughs> you know. You'd have, uh, you'd have, uh, like the ghost of Nadine come and. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but, oh my uh... gosh. Anyway, well, I'm glad you liked the film, man. Yeah. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I'm always thrilled to share films that were important to me when I was a kid, and and uh, I and I enjoyed it too for my first viewing in a long time. Mm -hmm. I had a blast with it, and I've had a blast talking about it with you today. And I hope everybody out there has enjoyed us listening to it. If you haven't seen the film, please do check it out. It's yeah, really we both recommend it. Yeah, highly recommended. All right. Well, I look forward to your pick next time. And mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, uh, I can't wait to do this again in a couple weeks. Cullen, yep. take care. Have a good day. Everybody listening out there, take care. Be good. Be safe. We'll see you next time. Don't do drugs. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>